these days leading up to Christmas, a question that's been on my mind a lot is the question of why. Recently, I'm, I'm at an age where a lot of my friends are, are getting married, having kids, having kids baptized, or growing up, and so I'm having a lot of experiences with, with little children lately. Um, and so it's fascinating to watch these little children just try to discover the world, right? These kids, they just have a, a way of just kind of like, they're, they're, they're seeing all, everything's new to them. And so they want to find the meaning of everything. So like a newborn baby who's something as simple as like, he finds out that he has a hand for the first time. He's like, oh, wow, what is, this thing's, I've never, I didn't notice this thing before. Or he notices his foot for the first time. Or he's got a toy and he's trying to see which, 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 which little block fits into the right hole. He's, he's trying to figure it out. He keeps trying different things until they work, all right? Or even like, I just assumed that children came out seeing, but apparently sight, is, it comes with time. And so watching them like actually see things for the first time and recognize these things. And as they get older, they start to ask that question, right? Why? Everything is why. Why? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And an incessant kind of pestering, right, until you get the frustrated, because I said so, or I don't know, or whatever it is, right? Um, that question of why, kids seem to have this intuition that there's got to be a meaning behind everything. There's got to be a reason why we do this or that. And so they're determined to find that out. I think that's an intuition. A lot of times, just as we, as we grow, we kind of lose that. We take things for granted. We kind of stop. We just kind of go from thing to thing without really focusing on the meaning of things. And I think maybe a, a child asking us that why question make, can, can kind of pull us out of that. Well, well, you know what? Actually, I never thought about that or I forgot about that, but this is why we do X, Y, or Z. And that question of why is important. And that's what I think about as we come up to Christmas. You know, why are we here tonight? Why did Christmas have to happen? Why did Jesus have to come to become man? Why did God become man? Why did Jesus have to be born as a baby? Because Christmas, there's lots of different, there's lots of good things that happen with Christmas. And there are lots of different meanings, right? There's, the, there's, there's time with family and good enjoyment and parties and presents. And all these good things that are, that are very good and, and good to be enjoyed, right? But family and presents and gifts and parties aren't why we're here right now. There's something deeper as to why we're here. So that's the question I I'm, I'm, want to pose to you, why? And to set the stage for that, I want to use an image. Imagine for a second that we're not in America. Imagine that we're in France. Imagine, I'm not Father Patrick, but imagine that I'm Père Riviere, right? The last name, I might as well use it. Um, so imagine, it's not 2019, but it's 1944. And imagine our, our country, our world, more or less, for the last four years has been under the oppression of a tyrannical, diabolical regime where death, abduction, execution, concentration camps, these kinds of things just become the norm. It's just, I just grow to accept it because that's what, I, that's what my experience is day in and day out. For four years, that's my experience, and you kind of begin to wonder, is anything ever going to change? Is there any hope left? Can anyone overcome this? Until 
get the headline that comes across the newspaper. Invasion. Allies land at Normandy. The Western Wall is smashed. I read that headline, and that's not a headline I read and then say, I wonder what's on the next page. That's a headline that literally changes everything. The whole world, as I knew it, is different forever from that point on because these soldiers have landed. Why do those soldiers come? They come for the honor and the glory. They come because they always wanted to see what the beaches of France were like. Obviously not. The soldiers came because they came to fight. They came to battle. They came to enter into this battle to save a people who had been long oppressed at the hands of this tyrant. They came because they came to fight for a people who was worth fighting for. They came for a mission that was worth undertaking. A mission they were willing to give everything for. With that in mind, let's go back to the original question. Why did Christmas have to happen? Why did Jesus have to come? Why did God have to become man? That answer to that question should obviously be the same as, as the, the World War II example. A lot of times we can, we can kind of get into this way of thinking that Jesus came to work miracles to tell these stories and parables, to work signs, to upbraid the Pharisees, the religious leaders, to preach us and, and teach us to, to love and to be kind, which are all very true things. He did all of those things. Those are very important. He worked many miracles. He taught us many things through those parables. He came preaching a gospel of mercy and of repentance and of love and charity. But none of those things are the reason why he came. The reason why Jesus came tonight is the same reason why those soldiers landed in France. He came to, to battle. He came to fight. He came to save a people who had long been under the oppression of a regime that's infinitely more diabolical than Adolf Hitler. He came because he saw that us, me and you were a people who were under oppression and we were a people who were worth fighting for, worth giving everything for. And so God became man to enter into that, that battle to give us freedom, to give us the peace that our hearts are longing for, the peace that we had been deprived of as a, as a, as a race from the very beginning. Ever since Adam and Eve fell, we've been subject to this regime of sin and death. And it's a reality that we had to face every single day, that we still, in a sense, face every single day, right? The proof is, is, is obvious. No matter how hard we try, death is a reality that I, I have to face. I can't avoid it. I'm powerless in the face of death. No matter how hard I try, it's going to touch me in some way or another. Every single year, every single one of us are touched in some way by, by, this, by this power. And I hope I'm not the only one that, just in, in my own being, there I, I, there's things that I do that I don't want to do, that I hate that I do, that I still do anyway. Right? It's almost like there's this power within us that we just can't seem to uproot. We can't seem to quite get control of. This power of sin that's, 
that's affecting us. We're under that regime. Like Isaiah said in the first reading, we're people in darkness. And God saw that darkness. He saw the tyranny, and he saw the the slave master that we were put under, and he couldn't stand to see us like that. So he came into that reality. God came, and he took the yoke that had burdened us, like Isaiah said in the first reading, and he smashed it. The rod and the pole of our taskmaster that he placed on our shoulders is broken, is destroyed. Because for us, a child is born. And on the shoulders of that child, all dominion rests. Jesus came to fight this battle, to free you and me and every single person from this regime of death that we were otherwise powerless to to combat. A battle that started in the manger and reached its culmination in the cross, where Jesus literally gave everything, his entire life, to set us free from that tyrant, to win that battle, to offer us this gift of salvation. Now, if all that's true, there's plenty of experiences that we have today that seem to point otherwise. Why are we still affected by all these things? It doesn't seem like things are that much different now than they were before Jesus, right? I think that World War II analogy helps us a little bit to understand that. See, D-Day, after D-Day, the war was effectively over. The, the, tide of the, the whole tide of the war had changed from that day on. The, the war was, was, in a sense, won. But the war didn't officially end until almost a year later. There were battles that still raged on for that year, but it all started with that victory that was won on that day. We're kind of in that kind of spot in our life right now, caught between the victory and the the culmination of the war, so to speak, at the end of time. And so that demands our response. Because although the victory is won, Jesus became man, he entered into our reality and won the battle. Sin and death don't have the final word anymore. Jesus gives us the final word. He has the final word. He is the word. But there's still battles that we enter into every single day, and that's where our response comes in. That's where our response to this gift comes in. See, we see someone who is willing to give everything for us, someone who loves us so much that he, he sent his son to give everything for us. That moves us to a response. When we see someone who's willing to go so far, just for me, I can't help but respond to that. I can't help but respond with it in some way to cling to that gift, that in the midst of all these different battles, these torments, these stress, the anxieties and the sufferings, whatever the, the reality is in my own life or in your own life, to cling to this gift that Jesus offers us, this very real gift. And Jesus knows that the battles happen every single day. He knows the war is won, but we're still in the battle. And so, God became man isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. God became man, that's something, ha- something that happens every single day. As God becomes man as he dwells in our hearts through our own prayer. As God becomes man as he enters into, in a few minutes, this very room in the Eucharist and becomes one with us as we receive him, 
as we cling to him in those sacraments, in our own prayer, God become man is, is our constant reminder of the victory that Jesus has won for us. And he wants to offer that to each one of us. But he respects our freedom so much that he doesn't force that gift on us. It's something that we, we accept, we receive that by the giving of ourselves to him, by clinging to him every single day. And so Christmas, all about gifts, Jesus gave us the gift, right? And the gift that he desires in return is ourselves. To continue to cling to him. To, to recognize the victory that has won and to respond to that through the situations that he places us in every single day. I want to close with the last stanza of, of a poem that a Christmas poem that I've heard a couple years ago that's always kind of stuck with me that speaks to this mystery. And it speaks to the desires of Jesus' heart, the desires of the one who gave everything for us. It says, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. I give my heart. Amen.